clear. The best way through this pandemic is to get people vaccinated. That's how we end the disruptions to our supply chains caused by this global pandemic. That's how we get back to the things we love to do. Two years into the global COVID-19 pandemic, almost 90% of Canadians were vaccinated and yet Canada remained one of the most locked down countries in the world. Every Canadian province had implemented vaccine passports. Unvaccinated Canadians were barred from restaurants, cafes, and internal travel. Some were denied life-saving medical procedures. Students were threatened, banned from campus grounds, and deregistered from classes at colleges and universities. <laughs> Vaccines had been mandated for the federal workforce and federally regulated transportation sectors. Bottom line, proof of vaccination will be required by no later than the end of this month for all federal employees. Rolling school closures, masking of children. To all the parents, I'm going to tell you that these measures will have an effect on our schools as well. The Omicron wave hit, affecting vaccinated and unvaccinated people equally. Omicron case counts are rising exponentially across the province. The rules are very simple. To travel, you've got to be vaccinated. It was discovered that the vaccinated were more susceptible to infection. The data are showing that vaccination can actually increase the risk of being infected with the Omicron version of this virus. I think um, the main issue is whether they ha the agencies have the authority to issue these. A growing climate of hostility increased against the unvaccinated as if they were the reason the pandemic and associated restrictions remained in effect. Late in the federal election of 2021, Justin Trudeau added a new pledge to his campaign platform. The implementation of mandatory vaccinations for cross-border truckers. Truck drivers, like all other travelers, will have to be fully vaccinated. We knew that something was going to happen once they, in, once they brought in the, the cross-border trucking mandate.
As the result of a prolonged lockdown culture filled with mandates, a movement was born from an unexpected place. Little did we all know that government policy, landlocked truckers, and a growing frustration in the Canadian public would birth a movement. A movement that would shake the very foundation of Canadian society. It was a perfect storm. My name is Bridget Belton, and I used to be a cross-border reefer driver until mandates came out. Um, I bought the truck during COVID. Never thought I'd be sidelined as an essential worker. I'm the founder of Convoy to End Mandates that was more popularly known as the Freedom Convoy 2022. Today we take Woo! our country back. Yeah, now from here, it's just like I'm sharing it. It's real, it's raw, Canada. Bridget Belding, who was the original person who was affected by the mandates, she and Chris Barber were the ones that I think originally came together and wanted to do something. Back in April or May of 2020 was the first run-in I had with the border. I gave them my email address and phone number, then I started getting constant messages. You just came back into Canada you need to quarantine or I'd leave Canada. You need to quarantine. This is where it really started. She said, you should know better. I said, for what? She goes, you get your load from Canada. You go to your destination and you come back and you do not leave your cab. How do I eat? How do I shower? Not one company out here allowed us to stop use their showers. They didn't allow us to sit in their restaurants and eat. We had to walk up to McDonald's, uh, Tim Hortons, you name the fast food restaurant, we were treated like scum. They tell you right on the door, we are not providing you with exemption notes. We're not. So he said, well, then I guess you're in violation. Enjoy your time with Windsor police. It gave me the chance to go through TikTok that night it gave me the chance to look at people like Chris and hear them. Well guys, appreciate everybody sharing this new uh, username and account because the old one, it looks like it's on its way out. Um, momentum's growing for this drive across Canada like crazy. My phone rings all day long with people from everywhere wanting to support us. I looked at my husband, I said, we need to do a convoy. And he goes, honey, honey. <laughs> Truckers can't agree on a free cup of coffee. Guys, on the 24th, 25th, whenever we're coming through on this convoy, I'm going to say, I'm excited to have this highway number one lit. I heard the passion in his voice. I heard it as passionate as mine. And I was done. I, I didn't know if I could fight. But hearing the rest of them talking about it, we could do this. We we can do something. I just have to get people on my side. And I have to let them know why it's so important to me to have these mandates gone and why people shouldn't be suffering at the hands of their government. It wasn't really political. It was just mandates. 
that's all. In the last weeks of 2021 and the early days of 2022, many Canadian truckers, small business owners, and social media influencers started speaking about Freedom Convoys. Some were planning local demonstrations, while others were planning a Trans-Canada pilgrimage to Canada's capital, Ottawa. Being grassroots, this movement was by its very nature, disorganized. But in the early days of 2022, an organization known as Canada Unity endeavored to communicate a clear plan on their website. It spread like wildfire. So what's the questions? You get asked so me a I'm question? So I'm going to ask you. Okay, ask First me. of all, what's your name? My name is James Potter, president and founder of Canada Unity Foundation. The support that the truckers were getting, because now they're, they're standing up. They've been talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. Now it's time. I was asked uh, as a favor to assist in organizing the East Coast convoy to head into Ottawa. I didn't know anything about the convoy until maybe 10, 12 days before it left. Uh, Martin was a part of Canada Unity, which is the only organization that I knew existed when I went to Ottawa. Martin Broadman, my, my partner, he's vice president of Canada Unity. I, I didn't know Bridget Belding or Chris at the time. I didn't know Pat King at the time. As a road captain, you, I was on a lot of Zoom calls with what would eventually become the board. I think we've got the south route, we've got the west route, and we've got the east route. So you got three routes. There's always been three routes. And uh, we do have captains that are assigned right now throughout Canada. And those captains, uh, I believe, would be the best people to bring forward. So there was my first time uh, experiencing um, any of the board members, including Pat and Tamara, uh, and the people that um, ultimately I ended up getting to know a little bit in Ottawa. Here she is, one and only. Say hello to Tamara. Hi, everybody. Well, um, my name is Tamara. You might know me from GoFundMe. <laughs> I put a post <laughs> on my Facebook page this morning that said, last Friday I got up, I went to work, I came home, I talked to Chris, made a Facebook page, started a GoFundMe account, and went off with my band to play a show, and wow. <laughs> here we are. Wow. Here we are a week later, and uh, my little GoFundMe is uh, $1.1 million right now. I get a message from the Women's Confederation of Trucking. as She sent me this message about uh, Canada Unity. We have a multitude of uh, wonderful truckers to choose from. Bridget uh, is uh, Sarnia. And I was like, those are my dates. And she goes, I know, that's why I thought I'd send it to you. So I'm like, well, I'm going to call him up and he's going to change his dates. <laughs> and that's exactly what I told James Bowder. You need to change your dates. <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, I'm not changing my dates. I said, well, then you can either join us or you can change your dates. <laughs> but there's no sense in splitting this. And he was like, well, let's work together. We, we own Ottawa. I said, we're not going to Ottawa. He goes, what do you mean you're not going to Ottawa? I said, no, we are rolling in every city, in every town, in every province across Canada. After talking, he goes, you know, Pat King's been trying to get a hold of you. Who's Pat King? To everybody out there, I'm so proud of you. We hit a million bucks! You guys rocked it! 
Thank you so much to the people of Canada. I had no idea who these people were. And he goes, let me get them on the phone. So Pat comes on the line. They sell me on this Ottawa deal. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I said, but I am going to talk to the rest of the team that's already in place and see what they say. That was January 12th. I thought it was a provincial uh, from where where you were from is what I thought. And uh, uh, we went live with Pat King and well, he broke the news that we were going to Ottawa. On January 13th, there is a video and we're going to Ottawa. <laughs> As the dates were set, Canadians from all corners of the country volunteered their time to help coordinate routes headed to the nation's capital. While the routes continued to grow, so did the traction of this movement. Pilot Pat, I was one of the lead convoy uh, pilot trucks from northern BC. My name is Miranda Gazer and I am one of the road captains. I basically did all of the north of Highway 16 of Alberta and Saskatchewan. I'm Ryan Mihalowicz. Um I was one of the road captains for Saskatchewan. A million phone calls later, <laughs> we're on our way to Ottawa. My name is Harold Jonker and I had the honour and the privilege of being the road captain from Niagara region going to Ottawa. My name is Joe. Um, I was a Manitoba road captain uh, for the Freedom Convoy. I'm Dale Lance. I was a road captain for Manitoba. I am a long distance truck driver. These captains and other volunteers across Canada stepped up to coordinate and bring awareness to their communities that a convoy to Ottawa was in motion. None, however, were prepared for the response they would receive. Even those who had planned prior convoys and freedom events were in disbelief by the amount of trucks that started to roll across Canada's northern climbs. 147 trucks and about three times that in, uh, in uh, light vehicle participation, so about 750 um, cars, vans, pickups, uh, everything in between, like even, even little dinky cars. Wow. <laughs> so you're probably a thousand? A dozen transports left BC today to be joined by others as they make their way across the country. The group is pushing back against a vaccine mandate. Somebody has to stand up for Canada and the truckers are doing it. It all started a couple days ago in Delta, BC. Truckers protesting vaccine mandates at the border. Now as the convoy logs more kilometers, it's getting more support. My name's Tom Quiggan, I'm a veteran. I served in a number of countries overseas. I've become a court expert on terrorism, court expert on the reliability of intelligence as evidence, and I've worked for a variety of government departments in sensitive intelligence roles. The work I did with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at INSET, a lot of that involved protests. So, I mean, Ottawa, it's the nation's capital, you get all kinds of uh, protests, some good, some crazy, some whatever. As the convoys first started to mobilize and move towards Ottawa, I started to recognize a series of patterns coming into place. What started out as a single expression of demonstration through what was called a freedom convoy involving vehicles from across Canada 
um, over the last several days, and particularly in the last 24 hours, has changed substantially. There is increasing concern about violent online rhetoric supporting the convoy, and that those with extreme views are planning on attending. As the truckers and other participants left BC at the start of the convoy, there was a noticeable discrepancy between social media and legacy media coverage of this event. A recurring tone and narrative began to take place. My name is Rupa Subramanya and I live in Ottawa in the nation's capital. I'm a columnist for the National Post and for Nikkei Asia. The role of the news in an institutional sense is to inform the public as objectively and fairly as possible. What is important here is that you leave those biases behind and you approach a situation as objectively and fairly as possible without these ideological lenses. The thing that told me without a doubt that the government was going to run a hate-filled, fifth-generation style information warfare against the convoy, against its own citizens, was as the convoy is rolling into town, but before it gets there, there's this headline comes out, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau escapes town, has to be moved to secret location for protection. And on a whole bunch of headlines, this came out. What I saw here, there was being information warfare waged on the convoy and, and on Canadian citizens in general, and it has been for a while. Uh, so what they do is they put out uh, misinformation Everyone and their brother shares that in their groups and shares that in their groups and it becomes this massive uh, ripple out into the pond and I would say over 95% of the information that I saw from the intelligence side uh, was incorrect. And I think that was kind of, for, from an intelligence perspective, that for me, before the convoy got there, that, that to me was the tone that was set. The level of hateful rhetoric of swastikas, of abuse towards their fellow citizens. There is not a right to incite violence, to perform acts of violence, or to spew hatred. I kept getting these messages from my uh, friends at top-notch publications, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times. And they would message me and they, they would say, Rupa, what is going on here? Why is there no on-the-ground reportage of what is happening in Canada? Uh, uh, I got trucking on my mind. There's a great big convoy trucking across Canada. Truckers who were previously regarded as heroes when they were delivering vital goods and working during the lockdown are now villains as they protest vaccine mandates. So why is no one in the mainstream media talking about it? All we're hearing are these um, narratives, people's opinions, um, and it almost reads like this is this is exactly what Justin Trudeau was saying and this is exactly what these reporters are saying. Despite numerous attempts to spin the narrative surrounding the Freedom Convoy, an outpouring of support was felt across social media platforms and international networks in the early days of the convoy. My name is Jerry Richard, and I live in Edmonton, Alberta. Very proud to be a Canadian, very proud to be an Albertan. When you see 600, 10,000, 50,000 semis going down the road, you tend to pay attention. The routes in uh, BC there, we got, uh, it started off with Prince Rupert 
all the way into uh, Calgary, Alberta, where we met up with the Southern Convoy that came in from Vancouver. Happy Canada! So what's the next uh, big city that we're going to be going to? Medicine Hat is the next big next stop big once city? we get rolling. And obviously we got enough media here. They'll be able to catch all of Canada up very quickly. When it really sunk in for me was was seeing the the footage and talking to the road captains and everything happening in BC, uh, you know, getting intel that the rest of the country was rising up. All right, James, I'll see you on the road, brother. Hey, buddy. Thank you, Andrew. That's big blue there. A massive freedom convoy left the lower mainland this morning, beginning the long haul to Ottawa. Industry insiders say the group is very loud, but only represents a small minority of drivers. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing. Being labeled as fringe minority, being labeled as a bigot, racist, and a misogynist when you're your leader of your country who's supposed to be serving the country, when he comes out and says stuff like that, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it angers you, but yet actually kind of saddens you. I feel sad. At the same time, I feel like overwhelmed with, with, uh, drive to fix this. Canada was coming together. The unity was amazing. The amount of support, like the people standing on the side of roads as we were going through was just mind-blowing. The small fringe minority, we were not. I keep listening to this over and over again, and I can't believe that the Prime Minister of, of, of an advanced Western country, a democracy, would say this. Uh, he's been vilifying these hardworking people. He's come out and called them publicly more than once, racist, misogynist, and he's also said, uh, he said, do we tolerate these people? These are your own people. Uh, this, is, this is the language of a tin pot dictator, uh, not the language of a democratically elected leader. But obviously on the ground, and there, that's where the disconnection is, is that that wasn't what was coming out. It was love, peace, and unity. The rest of the world saw it, but unfortunately our government didn't. This was the narrative that was already in place uh, prior to the protesters showing up, prior to the convoy arriving in Ottawa. Um, there was a fair bit of reporting, if you can call it that. This is appearing on national TV, a lot of people are going to tune in and let's face it, I mean, mainstream media, you know, continues to play an important role as far as a lot of people are concerned. They will not go to the independent media outlets. This is where they get their news from and they're very insistent on that. They painted us as bad people when we were hard-working Canadians simply trying to get our message across and being heard by our government. You've, got, you've been polling Canadians' attitudes towards uh, not only their governments, but also this restriction. Everyone's trying to figure out, are the truckers tapping into uh, a real issue or is they, as Justin Trudeau calls them, a fringe group? 
I would not call it a fringe group. I would say that based on the polling that we're seeing, most recently 54% of Canadians, and so that includes a lot of those people who rolled up their sleeves to get vaccinated not once, not twice, but three times in some cases, are ready for a conversation about whether it's time to start lifting and ending restrictions. Fundamentally, people thought this was going to be a short-lived thing, two days, three days max, and they would be out of the city. Uh, but boy, were they proven wrong. While legacy media appeared to turn a blind eye to the grassroots traction of this movement, it appeared to only inspire more Canadians to stand in solidarity with the truckers. Supporters started to line major highways, roadways, and overpasses in unity with the truckers headed to Ottawa. This is a welcome to Saskatchewan. These are hunterites that have come out that never show support. I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was going to be, but then after seeing here, it's like, well, maybe. Then you get down the road and every approach is filled all the way from Albert to Saskatoon. And, and as, as you kept getting further and further and further, like, Wow, this is big. You're driving along not expecting to see anything. But oh, there's all these lights along the sides of the roads, along all the side roads. And like, that's not normally there. Like, you know, you, you just know they're there to, to support you. So you give a couple of honks. We have kids that should be in school. We have parents that should be working. And they're out alongside the road on a brisk day showing us as much support as feasibly possible. Well, people got out of bed at 4 o'clock this morning to show support, and they were there until we left. Every overpass from there on out was just packed full of people. Standing out in the cold, freezing, cheering on, waiting hours for us, because, I mean, we were never on schedule, never. I don't think we met one city on schedule. It was always at least two, three hours behind. So they'd be standing out there, fires lit, and all of a sudden everybody's getting out of the vehicles and you can see them waving and, and some of them are jumping around. And there's strobe lights and flashers and fireworks going off. We had people throwing food in the back for a pickup truck. People running down the streets with coffee to hand through the windows and cheering and screaming and flags. And there was so many people it was hard to drive in there. They were throwing washer fluid jugs in the back of my truck. All I heard was thump, thump, thump. To see them out there with their children and waving, like it brought tears to a lot of people's eyes. As a grown man, I've never cried so much in my life. Witnessing the outpour of love, generosity, support that Canadian people have. Uh, it was very emotional, very emotional. Uh, we ended up just, you know, we, we had no idea what we were in for. And when we were driving down the road, every overpass, it was dark, it was snowing like crazy, and there's still people out in the overpasses all the way. All, everywhere we stopped, it's all the same thing. Everybody could just like, thank you. We want you, we need you to stay as long as you possibly can. Almost like something in the air. You could, you could almost feel it. It was uh, very special. You know, I, I've never had people cheering for me in my hometown before. Like, wow. It's an experience that I'll never forget, that's for sure.
It was humbling. Uh, because of what you've seen coming from BC, Alberta, Manitoba, seeing the footage there and the crowds that were meeting those convoys and then when we left on that Thursday seeing how many people were meeting us on the bridges and, and stuff like that you realized wow this is something bigger than we could have ever imagined. I looked over at my wife in the cab and I said I think we might be making world history and I think we did. Canadians weren't the only people witnessing the traction that was generated from this event. As the truckers continued to approach the nation's capital, many other countries around the world joined in with their own protests, media coverage, and even formed their own convoys. The truckers are in it for the long haul. They're not going to stop until the mandates are lifted. Now two Canadian provinces are dropping pandemic mandates, Alberta and Saskatchewan, and truckers have sparked protest movements worldwide in the U.S., in Alaska, and possibly from California to, to Washington. This is White Global. Australia. London. Germany. Switzerland. Martin, he's from Switzerland. Hands out to Switzerland. How you doing? Uh, USA is just driving on to the bear hut like woo! State on the convoy of truckers and other vehicles that encircled Washington, D.C. yesterday. Dozens of trucks along with minivans, motorcycles, pickup trucks. Brazil to Italy, France, name it. There's 27 countries right now uh, wearing our flags on convoys from the start date of convoy to now. I think it's really inspired the world. It inspired the world. I mean, you could see it from in the messages from people from other countries, for example, also from Germany. People in Germany were very enthusiastic about the, about the Canadian truckers. And I mean, so was I, honestly, frankly. I mean, it was really an inspiring moment. Uh, just to see Mexico, uh, Belize, you know, all these countries around the world starting their own convoys just, uh, you know, to support the Canadian truck drivers and what we were doing. A bunch of times that just brought tears to my eyes, you know, just, you know, just beautiful. It was just the beginning of a global movement. Any win for our side anywhere, I think, is a win for all of us. While the convoy continued to gain international recognition, it also started to highlight the core intent of the movement, to bring Canada together again as a country, to end the division and unite the nation from west to east, to stand in solidarity with each other and accomplish a collective goal. As a Canadian, there's this, this west versus east, east versus west, and that uh, we should hate each other and getting to Ottawa. Connecting both ends of the country, west and east, you know, people from BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Yukon. Like, you know, I, I had previously I've never met somebody from Yukon. I met some pretty interesting people. Okay, this is it. You know, we've got everybody involved. And this was a first for Canada. There's something about seeing 
Alberta and Quebecer and uh, Newfie standing side by side with a hockey stick with a flag, Canadian flag on it. It made me extremely proud. If nothing more, this movement created hope for our country where unity has been scarce throughout history. For the first time, the Freedom Convoy had brought together Canadians from all walks of life, from all corners of the country, together for a common purpose. My wife was like, well, what's up with you? And a big smile and said, well, guys, we made history already. And they're not even here in Ottawa. If they get to Ottawa, enough of them, this is definitely going to stir something up. A lot of people may not agree with us right now, but there may come a time when they actually have an issue that affects them, that they don't have the freedom to choose. And if we don't preserve it, we won't have it. Uh, for our kids, our kids won't have it. Our kids won't be able to live the life they want to or choose to, so this is just for them. I think uh, we've kind of lost focus that uh, the, uh, how how important the Bill of Rights are for uh, for uh, Canadians, and, and uh, that we just need to uh, present that and, and make sure that they they know that uh, they're hired by the people for the people. Throughout the course of the pandemic and associated mandates and lockdowns, an ongoing discussion developed around where constitutional rights hold precedent in matters involving bodily autonomy and the freedom of choice. Feeling that their rights had been infringed upon, the truckers felt it was of vital importance to highlight and spread awareness of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Canadian Bill of Rights, and the International Declaration of Human Rights. I think this is a real test for our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is only 40 years old, where your Bill of Rights is over 200 years old. And this is the first real test of whether written individual rights and freedoms really mean something in this country. My name is Vincent Gerzies. I've been a member of the Ontario Provincial Police for 32 years, and I retired seven years ago. Under the Constitution, Section 52 makes it very clear that any law that is created that violates the provisions of the Constitution, which includes the Charter of Rights, is null and void and has no authority whatsoever. A police officer takes an oath to the Constitution of Canada. The Constitution of Canada includes the Canadian Charter of Rights. And so when an officer takes an oath to not only uphold the law, but protect the people of the country, it's something that we don't take lightly. And once you get on that uh, path of, of, I don't have rights, they're being taken away, and it doesn't feel good, well, what documents do we have in our country that are going to restore my rights? And that leads you down the path of, here's our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
one of the things about the convoy was people had watched this for a couple of years on how freedom of expression was being hacked, freedom of mobility was being hacked, freedom of religion was being hacked by the government, and folks just finally said, you know, enough. We, we need to push back here. That document gives us that right to stand up. It should be honored and respected by our government so much that we shouldn't even have to stand up and defend it. On the surface, good laws. We have a charter, we have a constitution, we have a criminal code, but it's not being applied equally across the system and that generates anger and division. When mandates come out that are in clear violation of the Charter of Rights, the Bill of Rights, the International Declaration of Human Rights, that that's something that should be disregarded. This is another way to create division in the country, is to unequally apply the law against one group and not another, and it creates anger, and it creates partition, and here we are again. The Freedom Convoy created a platform for further discussion on the foundation of this debate that had scarcely been available to the public eye. Citizens continued to lose their jobs in their respected fields due to enforced vaccine mandates, which encouraged dialogue between those affected and the general public. My name is Dr. Julie Panessi. I have a PhD in philosophy from Western University, and I taught at Huron College at Western University for a number of years until I was terminated for um, not complying with the vaccine mandate. And I now work for the Democracy Fund as their ethics scholar. There is no other concept that has garnered more attention from medical ethicists and academic ethicists over the last maybe 40 years, especially within the field of medical ethics, than, than coercion, trying to understand what it is, how to avoid it, and how to develop policies that protect people from it, both within healthcare and more broadly, um, governmental policies. And then you might say, well, why is that important? Why is it so important that we're not coerced? And my very strong belief is that to try to coerce a person is to fail to recognize and to fail to treat that person as being what he or she most naturally is. If you're familiar with the laws that you're enforcing within the course of your duties, um, sometimes there are times where there is conflict and sometimes that conflict comes from your command staff and ultimately you're going to have to make a decision. Uh, within the mind you'll know the difference between right and wrong and you need to speak up and you need to say that is wrong but you also need to be able to justify it. If you look at millennia of human history, it is not at all surprising that the vast majority of people will comply their way towards atrocity. That's not surprising at all. That's what human nature is. We're tribal by nature. What's surprising are these outliers, the people who say, I'm going to step out of the shadow of the crowd. I, there are things that are more important to me than the comfort of what the group can give me. And I will hold on to my integrity no matter what losses may come, even if that's my life. And these are the people who gathered in Ottawa for a month, and they would have stayed a lot longer than that if they had to, I have no doubt about it. So who went to Ottawa, and why did they go? As the convoy neared its destination, it grew in scale, 
and participants began sharing their purpose and reasoning for joining the movement. For many, it was so important that they were willing to uproot their lives without notice. So at the end of the day, when people ask me, why did you support the convoy? It's not so much supporting the convoy, which I did, but it's so much trying to bring attention to people that said, right across this country, people are angry, they're frustrated, they're losing their jobs, they recognize the government is failing, somebody needs to do something. So that's kind of how I got into it. That's why I believe at the end of the day, it was necessary to support the convoy. And as the convoy went along, a whole lot of other guys stepped in the same way, so it was good. If I uh, knock it down to the absolute bare bones, it's my kids and my wife. I'm very fortunate that I've got a supportive wife and a strong wife and, and we had a good heart to heart and, and I just said, I, I have to see it. I mean, if I go there and I'm proved wrong, shame on me. We were raised up as three brothers. We were raised up to stand up when we saw something wasn't right. And being family men, uh, taking care of our families and putting a lot of emphasis on their well-being, uh, seeing what was going on in Quebec specifically, seeing our young people shutting down and crashing and committing suicide, we knew something had to be done. So when we saw this glimpse of hope coming out from the West, we knew that this was a good option. It was worth putting time and effort and trying to help these people. Upon nightfall, all three routes of the Freedom Convoy made the final descent towards the nation's capital. Police, protesters, and the city of Ottawa all prepared for its arrival. Convoy participants drove through what might have been the most emotional stretch of the drive yet. Canadians, undeterred by the freezing temperatures, lined the highways with signs and fireworks in a show of support. country and the world watched this story unfold, there were some expectations of what this demonstration would look like. But nobody could have predicted what would happen over the next 22 days. I think it changed a lot of people's perspective. You can watch all the news you want and you won't get the capture what it actually was. I don't think that they realized that we weren't leaving until the mandates were removed.
brother's road Leave it all behind to revive my soul And I won't find peace Till the day we rest in armor And for me to share Damn your life You are a master in Choose to disagree 